Hello and welcome into another edition of Around the Nest. Jay talking our way around the Toronto Blue Jays minor league organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler with the Single A Lansing Lugnuts. And this week on the show, we've got a ton to talk about. Specifically, I've had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. arriving into AAA Buffalo. Buffalo Bison's roster just looks like it's loaded right now. In addition, uh, AA New Hampshire, it's not like they've been scuffling that much on the offensive side with that Vladdy Jr. They're still playing very strong baseball. So they've been a ton of fun to watch. And so has been Dunedin, the Dunedin Blue Jays, at the A-advanced level. Uh, they've gone on a five-game winning streak. The Lansing Lugnuts have been playing very strong baseball as well. And so looking all the way up and down the system, there's been a lot of fun things going on. In addition to that, at the lower levels, the Vancouver Canadians, short season A, and the Bluefield Blue Jays in advanced rookie ball, they are fighting it out currently for playoff positioning. So we've got playoff races going on at the lower level. And, yes, at the upper level, too, New Hampshire's battling it out, Dunedin battling out for the FSL North Division. And we'll see just what kind of energy that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can add in to that Buffalo Bisons team, looking at a lineup right now that is simply loaded with prospects. Now, last week, there were a number of new broadcast voices that you heard about talking about a number of the new prospects who've entered into the Blue Jays system. And there were a couple more trades. This was trade deadline week, and so I reached out. I asked a couple more people, hey, tell me more about these players coming in. For example, Corey Copping was acquired by the Blue Jays in the John Axford deal sent to the L.A. Dodgers. I reached out to Dennis Higgins, voice of the Tulsa Drillers, for what he thought about Corey Copping. Well, Corey Copping is, is going to be a nice acquisition for the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, he has pitched in Tulsa for the last two seasons. And, uh, you know, he's just a uh, uh, hard thrower, uh, good fastball in the, the mid to upper 90s, a uh, very effective slider. And uh, just all-around good guy. Uh, the teammates really liked him. He got along well with everybody. Uh, always kind of a sly smile on his face. Very quiet individual, but uh, very focused on the field. And, you know, he's from Southern California. He grew up in the Pasadena area around the, uh, the Rose Bowl. Uh, and ended up going to college in Norman, Oklahoma, for the Oklahoma Sooners. And uh, I think the Blue Jays are getting a really good guy. You know, he's bounced between AA and AAA this year. And uh, he's... he's Led the team in saves last year for Tulsa. I was a little surprised to see him come back this year to Double A, but he's been very effective. And I asked him recently. I said, uh, "What's it going to take for us to get you up to Triple A and stay there?" And he just kind of smiled and real quietly said, "I got to cut down on my walks." So that's the one. Uh, the, the bugaboo about him was uh, too many walks, a lot of strikeouts. But uh, once he gets those walks uh, taken care of, he's going to be a very effective pitcher for Blue Jays. What's his stuff look like? Good, real good stuff. He's got a fastball again mid to upper 90s at times. He'll touch uh, 95, 96, 97 time to time. Great slider uh, and an occasional changeup. And when he throws that changeup, it's very effective. That might be something he might want to work on as well, throwing the changeup a little bit more because uh, it really complements the fastball and the slider. So that's Corey Copping from Dennis Higgins, the voice of the Tulsa Drillers, letting you know the player picked up in the John Axford deal. We also saw the player picked up in the Aaron Loop deal, Jacob Higgspack, make his uh, debut with the Buffalo Bisons yesterday. It was albeit in a loss, but he did strike out 12 batters and tossing six in the third innings. We'll speak with Pat Malacaro about what went on at AAA in addition to Guerrero joining the team. Meanwhile, there were a couple more deals that were made. We heard last week about Chad Spanberger playing very well with the Lansing Lugnuts. We'll hear more about Forrest Wall, who was acquired and he was sent to the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats. 
Another player who was sent to the Fisher Cats was Hector Perez, and this was in the Roberto Osuna deal. Osuna was traded to the Houston Astros in exchange for Ken Giles, David Paulino, and Hector Perez. And here's Sammy Levitt with the Corpus Christi Hooks letting us know all about Hector. Hector Perez really impressed me in his short time at AA, and I would say he has a ton of potential as a big leaguer one day. His stuff was really good. His fastball sits in the mid-90s, has a good four-seamer and two-seamer. His splitter is impressive, has good downward movement. Slider and curve when he can throw them for strikes are effective, and that's the key for Hector Perez. Just has to throw strikes. He's had control issues, if you look at the numbers in the past, but showed pretty good control while here in the Texas League. An interesting note about Hector, he was signed out of the Dominican Republic at 18, which is a little later than you usually see with international prospects, uh, but Hector has risen pretty quickly through the system. Uh, only at AA and with the hooks for about two and a half weeks after a good start to the year at High A. Buies Creek. Uh, quite honestly, I didn't have a ton of conversations with him, but my interactions with Hector were good. Uh, seemed like a good guy, and that's what I've heard about him. Uh, I think the Blue Jays are getting a really nice talent with a lot of potential, really good, pure stuff, and we'll see what's next for Hector Perez. So that's Sammy Levitt checking in from the Corpus Christi Hooks about one of the players picked up again. And once again, it sounds so promising. I've read a number of articles, people saying, look at these new prospects coming in, this influx of talent, and how it affects and helps out in deepening the Blue Jays' talent supply. Let me bring in now the voice of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, Tyler Murray. And let's talk about your current Fisher Cats squad. Tyler, how much fun are you having watching these Fisher Cats? So much fun, Jesse. You know, we always uh, were anticipating the question, well, what are you guys going to do without Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Well, this team in the five games without him have averaged almost 10 runs a game. They've scored at least eight in their last five, and that is a franchise record. And those last five games have come without the best prospect in the organization. So everybody's pitching in, everybody's stepping up. Uh, and what uh, hitting coach Hunter Mentz said yesterday is uh, no one's just sitting around waiting for Vlad to do something really cool, to use his words. Uh, they're all pitching in, and uh, especially I, I would give Max Pentecost a, a nice uh, tip of the cap the last couple of days. He's been really good, and everyone else is stepping up around him. Is this something you've been waiting to see from for a while from Max? You know, it was always there, obviously, and for him in the first month and a half to two months, it was just about getting back to that full workload. He wasn't catching in back-to-back -back games until late May, and, and now we're seeing some more consistent playing time. But yesterday just had his third three-hit game in his last six. He's batting 500 in his last week of play. So uh, the, the home run pop, we, we know he possesses, Maybe we're still waiting on that a little bit. He just still has the uh, four home runs in 68 games now. But we're seeing that doubles power, Jesse. He's got doubles in each of his last five games. So it seems to be coming together for him, but I still think it's a, a slow and steady process to, to continue to move him along. I'm looking over his day-by-day. Day. Three for five, double. One for five, double. Three for four, double. Two for five, double. Three for five, double. Those are his last five games. So he's hitting with pop. Oh, big time. And before that, he was on an 0-for-18 slump, so it's great to see him be able to break out of that. And it's a position the Fisher Cats would, would love to get more offense from. They know they have it in a guy like Ryan Hissey, who's been a uh, multiple-time uh, organizational all-star, according to MILB.com. But uh, they would love for Pentecost to keep hitting this way as he continues to improve defensively as well. Obviously a very high draft pick, 
a first-rounder and a guy they have a lot invested in and a lot of high hopes for. And I think uh, he's living up to it, at least during this last week or so. How's his defense looking? You know, every time I get a chance to to hear about the Fisher Cats in the dugout, maybe uh, let Bob Lippman take over and I kind of take a walk around the concourse and listen in. Uh, his teammates are very encouraging of his development behind home plate. Even for, with a simple block in the dirt and being able to knock it down, it, uh, you can tell how invested John Schneider, the manager, is the former catcher here with New Hampshire as well, uh, helping him improve, helping him work on blocking those pitches. And it's something that I've seen pretty significant improvement with. Um, the arm is good. The, the blocking is solid, but maybe a few a few bouncing balls get by him. I wouldn't give him an A-plus rating behind home plate, not yet, but his development uh, continues to impress me. Let me ask you about another one of those hot Fisher Cats hitters. How about Santiago Espinal? Yes, pretty good response to uh, the three-home run day from Steve Pierce yesterday. You know, a two-run triple, and he's a guy who can just drive in runs. It was actually his fourth multi-hit game in his last five. And he's getting more line drive hits, Jesse, because early his actual his first at bat in Double A end with the Fisher Cats was a bloop double down the right field line that the right fielder dove for, and it bounced past him. Uh, so maybe you could call that a cheap two base hit. But lately he's really been barreling up the baseball. It's been good to see, and he described himself as uh, I guess a jack of all trades. Doesn't necessarily specialize uh, with home run power or. A lights out defense, and this is coming from him. Uh, but it's one of those players who does just about everything right. So if he can uh, hone in on a, a certain aspect of his game to play at a major league level, uh, there, there are a few holes, I think, for, for Espinal as we get our first looks at him in the Blue Jays system. Just uh, 13 games under his belt with the Fisher Cats so far. How about a player even newer to the Blue Jays system? You had the chance to watch Forrest Wall when he was playing for Hartford. Have things changed at all now that you get to watch him every day? Yeah, it's been nice to see him do his thing. A couple of three-hit games already. I, I like how he looks in center field. He's got easy speed, long strides. He looks comfortable out there. And maybe the first couple of times we saw him here at home, he had a 0-4-4 strikeout game in his home debut in this building. But uh, I thought maybe there was a hole or two in that swing, but I think he really uh, – really brought things into a more simple part of it. He shortened that swing up a little bit, and he was able to get now four hits in his last eight at-bats. So he's got, a, at times, a big, long swing when he's going for power, but I think he shortened things up a little bit, and uh, that, that's been good to see, leading to a lot more good contact hitting. Something that came up when I was talking to Rob Fay on a recent Around the Nest, where he said, Jesse, we talk so much about the players. We need to talk more about the coaches. And you mentioned your hitting coach, Hunter. So tell me about your coaching staff this year and how it's been working with them and watching them work with the players. Unlike any team I've ever been a part of, Jesse, every player will tell you that a big reason they're having success this year and enjoying being in this clubhouse is because of the coaching staff. And, of course, that starts with John Schneider, the ultimate players manager, the youngest manager we've had in our history here, just 38 years old. So he's been phenomenal. Hunter Mintz, I think if he got a national a broadcasting job as an analyst right now, he would knock it out of the park. Every time anybody interviews him about one of our players or just hitting in general, they'll take 15 minutes to half an hour usually just hearing what he has to say about the science of hitting and how guys are improving. Um, and Vince Horseman, I mean, he deserves so much credit. You look at John Harris and Jordan Romano, two different guys who have shown flashes of big league stuff but didn't necessarily have it consistently working for them. 
he has made minor tweaks with both of those guys in terms of uh, their deception, how they hide the ball, how they turn away from home plate as they work through, uh, through their delivery, and it's it's taken them to new heights. Uh, Tim Mesa is a guy that I, I always point to with uh, the success of Vince Horseman, what he was able to do with Tim Mesa to get him to the big leagues. And I wouldn't be surprised if we look back in a couple of years at John Harris and Jordan Romano thinking the the, the improvements they made in Double A New Hampshire is a big reason why they're big leaguers. Let's stay with your pitching. Travis Bergen, back on June 15th, gave up a run pitching at Altoona. That's it. That's it for earned runs allowed. It was a four-run, one-earned kind of day. He's since allowed three unearned, two on June 19th, one on June 29th, and that's been it. Nothing in July. Now we're here in August. What's it been like watching Bergen pitch? That's incredible. We've seen out of the bullpen maybe more issues than you'd like to see with strike throwing especially getting that first guy out there have been a few too many leadoff walks out of the pen which can really deflate um, your, your entire dugout but Travis Bergen he just comes in and throws strikes you mentioned how long it's been since, since he's given up a run he hasn't walked anybody since July 16th and since then he's got six strikeouts so he's a strike thrower uh, different stuff, and he's a lefty, but it reminds me of Andrew Case last year, a guy who just goes out there, knows his team needs a strike thrower, and just pounds the zone, and he's going to dare you to hit his stuff. And lately, it hasn't been hittable. I mean, it almost at no point this season has it been consistently hittable. So Travis Bergen, he's been a really pleasant surprise, a guy who I don't think they had labeled as any kind of closer role to start the season. But uh, by process of elimination, he was chosen, and he has really hung on to that role, and it's been impressive to see how he's uh, attacked, had that attacking mentality. Tonight is Comic-Con night. He is my hero, the voice of the people, Tyler Murray, voice of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Thank you very much for offering your observations. Jesse, you're the best. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you soon. Beautiful. And from A New Hampshire, let's go to single-A Lansing. The Lansing Lugnuts, I've talked about it, they've added some power into their attack now. Ryan Noda has some help. Here's Chad Spanberger going yard not all that long ago. Pitch here, hit high in the air, right center field, and hit well. Sajola goes back, looks up, goodbye! Home run Spanberger! one nothing Lugnuts in the second on his first Lugnuts home run. And with that home run, he has brought rain. I thought that was Josh Donaldson's job. <laughs> well, that was Chad Spanberger right before Rainstorm. Hello, Dante DeCaria, and how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well right now, Jesse. Nice to hear that uh, great home run call by you. And you're right, I thought Josh Donaldson was the bringer of rain. <laughs> what are your early thoughts and observations about Mr. Spanberger? Well, let's first talk about off the field. He's a leader, Jesse. Hands down, this guy is quiet, respectful, he's a professional, and he leads by example. He's not like a Chavez Young or a Kevin Vicuña who just went on the stable list or, you know, other guys that we had here on the team like a Casey Clemens in the past. He's a guy that goes out there, hits bombs, has a great approach at the plate, the ball just flies off of his bat, and he's a leader in the clubhouse. This team is so energized to have him. My goodness, Jesse, it has just sparked this club going forward, and this team's on a roll. I love it. There's another guy who's been hitting bombs recently. Give a listen. The 20-year-old Samad Taylor stepping away from second base. On the mound, Javier Assad deals. Curve ball hit high in the air to right center field. It's powering. 
How deep is it going to travel? It is gone! Ryan Noda hits a two-run homer to right center, well over 400 feet. Two-nothing Lugnut. It is his 12th home run this season. Spamberger on deck, off to the right. The 2-2. Noda hits it high and deep to center field. Heron goes back at the wall, looks up. See you later! Oh my goodness! It's a three-run homer for Ryan Noda. And the Lancy Lucknets lead 9-1 to one in the bottom of the fourth inning. <laughs> Both Dante DeCary and I have had the chance to practice our home run calls recently. Dante, how about Ryan Noda's bat roaring back to life once the calendar went from July to August? My goodness, has he been on a tear over the last two games against the South Bend Cubs? He has three hits. And all of them are home runs, three home runs, eight RBIs for Ryan Nodi. He's got a walk in there as well. Now, you know what, Jesse? He is just locked in right now. But I haven't been able to put a finger on why he's so locked in right now. I mean, we're talking about one of the streakiest hitters we have ever seen um, in our careers, both of us. Um, I mean, great guy on, in, the, in the clubhouse, but he's a great player on the field. But for some reason, we've, we saw him do really, really, really good in June have a okay month of uh, July, and then all of a sudden his month of August has started off with a bang. Um, and I think right now it's just to keep that approach consistent. You know, we hear him talk all the time about trying to stay towards left center field, trying to stay to the middle part of the ballpark. And I think that home run that he hit to center um, the other night for a second bomb of the game, the three-run shot, was something that he likes to do, hit the ball towards center field, go to the opposite field. We've seen a lot of teams put the shift on Noda. He's rolling over the ball a lot more than we've seen before. But when he makes contact, when that swing is right on plane, the ball just explodes off the bat. And that's something you can't teach. It's the same thing with Chad Spamberger. When that ball hits the wood, it just thumps. You know, it's a beautiful sound. And it's like it, it rockets the whole ballpark. You can hear the sound right off the bat just travel through throughout the rest of the Cooley Oscar Stadium and all the other ballparks around the Midwest League. Let me ask you about a guy hitting in front of them. We heard his name right at the very start of the first clip. How has Samad Taylor been recently? Um, Samad's improved a ton. I mean, the biggest thing to me that has stood out Samad Taylor's game is um, his fielding. And offensively, boy, oh boy, his eye has just gotten so much better over the course of the season. He's walked 42 times this year, Jesse. I mean, that is something you know, incredible just because last year he only walked 13 times. I know it was a short season and the year before that walked a handful of times as well. So in his first two seasons, yeah, he was hitting for a high average, but his walks were down this year. He struck out obviously a lot more. His average is down, but his power is up. His home runs are up. His triples are up and his walks are up. So I think Samad Taylor has improved over the course of the season. Again, we talked about on previous episodes about there's a lot of moving parts in his swing. Right now, I think he's cleaned things up. I was just watching him during batting practice, and the ball explodes off his bat. He's one of the most talented players in the Midwest League. And earlier, before I took this phone call with you, Jesse, on Around the Nest, I was talking with manager Cesar Martin about Samad Taylor's defense. All I had to say was this, Samad Taylor's defense, and Cesar Martin's face lit up. He had a huge smile on his face. 
And he turns to me and says, oh, my God, he has improved so much over the season. He's confident. He's quick to the baseball. He, he's, his throwing has improved so much. He gets his back foot planted, and he quickly gets it over to first. He slings it over. He, oh, my goodness. Just seeing the development of him has just uh, made everybody happy, everybody smile. Dante, let's wrap things up. Same question I asked Tyler Murray, and that is about the coaching staff. How has it been watching this Lugnuts coaching staff this year working with the players? This has been my favorite coaching staff that I've ever been around. And this is only my third year of professional baseball broadcasting. Last year in Barrie, or not even, last year wasn't even professional. But anyways, um, just over the course of my three years of broadcasting baseball, this is my favorite coaching staff to work with so far. Um, Maddie Young cares about the guys so much. He's great to talk to. He has such a great knowledge of hitting. He can look at a hitter for five minutes and be like, okay, this is what we're going to work on. This is what we're going to do right now. And it goes the same for Cesar Martin when it goes for hitting or fielding, Dave Pano, fielding, hitting. Tony Costras knows about hitting a little bit. But I, I honestly, out of all of them, my favorite guy so far has been Tony Costras, the pitching coach, just because he knows mechanics. He's smart. The pitchers like working with him. He gets to the point quick. If he thinks you're doing something wrong and he doesn't like it, he's quick to tell you, hey, listen, stop doing this. It's not going to work. This is the, probably the highest you're going to pitch if you keep doing this, so you've got to change it right now, but I'll work with you to do it. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of pitchers over the years tell me that, oh, I've been in this organization and this organization, and the pitching coach seemed to ignore me. The one thing that I've noticed about Tony is that he works with every single pitcher on the staff. He does not ignore a guy, whether you're a bigger priority, whether you make more money, or you're a 35th round pick. It doesn't matter to him, and that's, that's the one thing I love about him the most. Dante DeCaria joins me for Lansing Lugnuts broadcasts. Lugnuts home tonight, head on the road at Fort Wayne, and then come back next Wednesday. The Lugnuts record 64-46, and 46, and they've won eight out of their last ten games following a nine-game losing streak. Dante, thank you very much. Jesse, always a pleasure. We'll see you soon. All right, sounds good. And from single-A Lansing, let's go up to triple-A Buffalo. Pat Malacaro, how are you? I'm great, Jesse. My apologies for being a little bit late today. No, no worries. First things first, pronounce the last name of your starting pitcher from last night. Jacob Wagaspak. He's a great story, Jesse, where two days ago he was in the Lehigh Valley Clubhouse, the visiting clubhouse uh, in Buffalo, and when Aaron Loop was traded by the Phillies, uh, Jacob Wagaspak was the player traded in return. So as the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, press conference and batting practice was going on, on the field, behind the scenes, Wagus Pack was being told that he was traded to the Blue Jays organization, that he could pack up his gear, walk about 50 feet from one clubhouse to the other, and he was a bison within a couple of minutes. There was, I forget which player it was in the major leagues, who, in making the trade, they took him over via bullpen cart down underneath the stadium. Easy trip for Wagus Pack. Did he knock your socks off with his 12 strikeouts in his bison's debut? He did. We saw him a couple of times this year. He pitched in relief and as a starter against the Bisons for the Iron Pigs. He's a tall guy, but he's not overpowering. His fastball, 92 to 94-ish. Now, I guess that's, that's good velocity. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, it's not, he's not overpowering. So he has to rely on keeping the ball down in the zone. And he did that of the three times I've seen him pitch, the best yesterday. And I have to think it's not easy pitching against your former teammate to watch you every fifth day, um, and for Wagus Pack, every fifth day since about May. So 
they would have seen plenty of him this season, and for him to go out and throw 12 strikeouts against his former team um, was nice. Unfortunately, uh, he left a couple of runners aboard, and the, the inherited runners scored. So his line looked a little worse, giving up the four runs. He pitched much better than that, I think, uh, yesterday, and it definitely was a good first start for Waggis Pack. Does it feel, in looking at your roster, as if you suddenly have an injection of energy with the newcomers coming in? It definitely does feel feel that way. Uh, it starts with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. There's no doubt about it. Um, not only with the amount of media that will show up and the media presence, but um, just just the way he he takes the field and plays the game. Um, it, it, it's it's a little different. And then you add in some other guys in the mix as well. And it just feels like look, we're in August now. This Bison team is 18 and a half games out of the division lead. So that pretty much uh, the Bison spade is sealed there. They're in the wild card hunt, so to speak, nine and a half back. So it's going to take a Herculean effort. Uh, it would have to start against Scranton Wilkesbury here over the next three days. So looking at other things as we approach the final month of the season, uh, the youthful uh, excitement definitely is something that uh, hopefully will help carry the way the rest of the season. That said, the Buffalo Bisons are right now must-watch viewing. If you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan, I must listen to listening. Your broadcasts, everybody's going to tune in. It's Vladdy Jr. He's arrived. What was your first impression? It was everything I expected. I've been following along just not only being a part of the Blue Jays affiliation over the last couple of years, but just in terms of watching baseball prospects and watching uh, Vlad Jr., especially this season, and he looked just as good in person as he did on video clips and, and Twitter and, and gifts and everything. Um, he smoked the ball the other day. It was a, his first base hit was a single. It was recorded uh, an 118 mile an hour exit velocity off the bat. And uh, we joked in the broadcast. He nearly handcuffed the left fielder. He hit the ball so hard it got on him so quickly that it nearly uh, a single nearly turned into maybe even a double or even more. So it was. He, he hit the ball very well, and uh, defensively, he had to make two really nice plays in his first game, and he was up to the task, so uh, I've been excited to see it, and I know the folks in Toronto are, are very anxious. I know uh, our friends at Sportsnet 590, the fan who take about 12 of our broadcasts this season, they actually had a listen in. They, they, they couldn't follow the whole broadcast on Tuesday because of um, where the Blue Jays were and the timing didn't work out, but they... They joined our broadcast in progress a couple of times just so that uh, folks in Toronto could hear Vlad Jr.'s first at-bats in AAA. So I know how uh, anticipated uh, whenever that first arrival will be uh, when it is. I picture the memo being sent out that when the Bison's games are carried on Fan 590, hey, Vladdy Jr. better be in that lineup. But that said, I look over your starting lineup, and Jonathan Davis and Anthony Offord or Richard Arrani or Danny Jansen right on down – that lineup is now loaded with ability. And add in the mix, Rowdy Telez. I think he's a guy that has been here now for two seasons. And he, over the last month, since he's rejoined the team off the temporary inactive list, found his approach at the plate, and he is hitting very well. He, he doesn't lead the team in batting average right now, but he leads the team in hits with 85. The power numbers are going back up. He has 10 home runs this season. He's hitting the ball to all fields. So while the power isn't where it was maybe a couple of years ago, he has a much better approach at the plate. So you add in the fact that he's hitting well at first base, uh, right in the middle third of the order for the Bisons. And, yeah, the, there is considerable talent from top to bottom 
one through nine. And unfortunately, it hasn't translated into results yet, but hopefully over this final month, uh, the Bisons will start finding more wins than they will losses. What have you thought of Billy McKinney so far? He's been as advertised. He's defensively, he's even even better uh, in the field than he is at the plate to me. He threw a guy out from right field the other day, and he every time he's out there, he is a threat to throw you out if you are not hustling to second uh, on a base hit to the outfield. So his defense is very good. He might help uh, keep runners from advancing bases. Um, so that's one thing I, I look forward to seeing from him over the final uh, month of the season if, if there isn't a need in Toronto uh, sooner than that because I think he could be a nice depth player for the Blue Jays in terms of um, being able to spot guys here and there uh, in the outfield. So uh, he'll be a nice treat to watch here. His game is translated to AAA. It has a little bit in the big leagues. Uh, it's a little big league time this year with the Yankees. So I think he's a guy that Blue Jay fans will quickly come to know and, and know very soon. There's a question posted on Bluebird Banter. How does Billy McKinney feel about being included in so many big MLB trades? The first time is always the biggest shock, but when you go on beyond that, I mean, this is now his fourth organization. He understands, I think, this is, this is the business. Um, in one respect, you are not necessarily, uh, not that you're not wanted, but you're expendable in one organization, but... Uh, you have to look at it the other way, and I think he is in that there's another organization out there that values his skills and his abilities, and the Blue Jays will have a definite need uh, very soon. If he can continue to uh, progress here at AAA and play well enough, uh, hit, hit a little bit closer towards 300 than he was this season around 230 here in Scranton, more towards the 300 hitter he was last year, he will be uh, right back to where he wants to be in the big leagues. The Buffalo Bisons are playing in Scranton against Billy McKinney's former teammates, the Rail Riders, through the weekend. Then they come on back home, back to Coca-Cola Field, taking on Gwinnett and Toledo. Starting up next Tuesday, Pat Malacaro, the voice of the, ho- uh, voice of the herd. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jesse. Talk to you next week. You bet. And now let's go to Vancouver. Let me bring in Rob Fay out in Hillsboro, Oregon, on the West Coast. Rob, how are you? And there's a lot of guys right now that are looking for per diems because they just spent their money at the Nike employee store, which is always one of the stops on the road that you look forward to making. But I think there's a lot of guys right now that are going to be eating ramen for the next couple of days because they went out and bought themselves a couple of pair of shoes. All right. So I've got to follow up with this because I don't know the Northwest League as well. Take me through your road trips and the most notable attractions anywhere that you might go. Well, I would say that Portland obviously has a suburb of Hillsboro and Beaverton, and Beaverton is where the world headquarters of Nike is. So you can only imagine when players pull up to the hallowed gates of Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and get the opportunity to buy some uh, pretty cool swag at a reduced price. So like I said, there's a couple of guys who are going to be eating real lean for the next couple of days. Uh, you go down to Boise, uh, it is hot. I think Satan himself has turned down tickets to see a game there. But everybody likes coming to Vancouver and Spokane because you're averaging six to 7,000 fans a game. Well, the Vancouver Canadians are coming off two successive losses to Hillsborough. They still have three more games to go. And then we hit the All-Star game, the Northwest League All-Stars against the Pioneer League All-Stars. Were you surprised by any of your C's All-Stars? Uh, no, if anything, I thought there'd maybe be one or two more. But at the end of the day, when you've got 24 spots and a Canadian team that's hovering around 500, Three's about par for the course. 
thing that I like is Griffin Conine and Tanner Kerwer have deserved it. Kobe Johnson was a little bit of a surprise to me, but if you just look at the pedigree and you see everything that he's been able to do on a consistent basis, um, I think there's a couple of managers out there that are more than happy to put his name forward. Conine, for me, expected. A second-rounder out of Duke that has a bat, has an arm, pretty good all-around player, and I think uh, there's going to be a lot of guys within this show that will broadcast his name over the next couple of years and enjoy him. Tanner Kerwer, like I said, he'll run through a brick wall to get a glass of milk, and he's the kind of kid right now that everybody wants on their team. Leads our team in stolen bases, and is just a force. And uh, very proud for all three of those guys. Sounds good. Well, let's talk about your recent play. And here we are in the second half. It is all jammed up in the division. Let me first start with Brian Lozardo, who came through with a couple more base hits, albeit in the loss yesterday. Lozardo picked up his seventh double, batting average two sixty nine. You've seen him for a couple of years now. How is he developing? Well, I would say in year one, he missed the baseball. In year two, he was sort of kind of hitting the baseball. In year three, he's hitting it right on the button. And I think that's really all you could ask for. I don't know if I would call Brian Lozardo a through-and-through prospect, um, but he is a definite guy that has made progression over the last couple of seasons. The thing with Brian is the defense is still a little suspect for me. So even though he's hitting two sixty-nine. um liability might be a little bit of a strong word, but definitely inconsistent with the glove. And you look at his age, and a couple of years ago, it would be like, ah, oh, well, don't worry, he's just 19. Well, now all of a sudden he's 21, about to turn 22, and that has not progressed. So I think the Blue Jays have a question eventually to make with Brian Lazardo. Another player who's put together a couple of solid games in a row. Tell me if I'm mispronouncing his last name. Is it Jake Brot? Brot? It is Brot like Boat. And uh, he has been a guy that has really turned the corner. He has worked really hard with Aaron Matthews with the, uh, you know, on the hitting side of things because the curveball, um, picture Pedro Serrano in the movie Major League. Fastball, he can hit it to the moon. The curveball, the bats are afraid. But at the end of the day, he has made that adjustment. He has shortened up that big six-foot-five swing and now is starting to put the ball in play. If memory serves me correct, he's four for his past eight, and all four of those hits are doubles. The Lansing Lugnuts just reached down into Vancouver and we plucked another Canadian. What can we expect to see out of Vinny Capra? Well, Vinny Capra is one of those guys that I think you need on your team. He is fantastic as far as the east-west movement in the middle of the diamond goes defensively. He's a scrapper at the plate. He'll get you an 8, 9, 10 pitch at that. And he is, when we were in the lobby of the Nike employee store, the first name that was called to come up and show his ID, and everybody booed because Vinny wasn't there to take his spot at the store. So that is actually how I found out that Vinny Capper got called up, was here at the Nike employee store realizing he wasn't being able to get those uh, free pair of kicks. I love it. Let me ask you a question that I asked a couple of the broadcasters earlier in the show, and it's about the coaching staffs. And you went through it in talking about Dallas McPherson as your first-year manager. Let's go through the rest of the staff. You've talked about Big Sai. What have you been watching with them recently and working with your players? Well, with Jim Sankowski, it is just that fatherly influence. You know, there's a guy that's got a little bit of major league pedigree. Um, you talk about taking – a bunch of ingredients. I don't know if you guys in Michigan get the show Chopped, but it's basically a show where you give a, a chef a bunch of random ingredients and he has to make something really cool and tasty out of it. And that's kind of what Jim Sykowski has done with his pitching staff this year. You've got a bunch of quirky arms. Some of them are undersized. Some, like Fitz Sadler, are a little oversized at 6'9". Uh, but he's been able to have this organization once again 
take to the field with the best ERA of all eight teams in the Northwest League. So Cy is the pitcher whisperer, and you can take Vinny Capra, but you cannot take Jim Sykowski. <laughs> we won't. Finally, Rob, do you have any plans for your All-Star break? Uh, I do. There are certain things I can tell you, but in Las Vegas, there are certain things I can't. And the only thing that I'll say is uh, our coaching staff is going to the All-Star game, and they said, Rob, are you coming with us? I said, heck no, brother. I'm getting out of town as much as I can. Three days off in the minor leagues is the equivalent of a month, and I'm going to use every hour that I can to rest up and get ready for the final stretch of the season. That's beautiful. Vancouver on the road with the five-game road trip at Hillsborough, then the All-Star break, and then a five-game trip at Salem-Kaiser before coming back to Nat Bailey on August the 14th against Tri-City at Rob Fay Nation on Twitter. Rob, thank you for your time. It's my pleasure, fella. Talk again. All right. And from Rob to Zach Helton with the Appy League Blue Jays, the Bluefield Blue Jays. Bluefield uh, lost the Mercer Cup this year, unfortunately. Zach, how are you dealing with the loss? Well, I, I, you know, I think I'll handle it a little bit better come playoff time if we can get a push. Uh, it'll be us in Princeton. Uh, Princeton's atop the Happy League East right now, and we're sitting two games back. Uh, we've got a big series coming up with Danville. They're a game and a half behind us in third. So this weekend could tell the tale, but if we can get a late push and face Princeton uh, in the playoffs, I would rather have that three-game series than the Mercer Cup and move on to the championship. But a lot of baseball left to be played between now and then. Let's talk about your bats. And I want to begin with Hagen Danner, who looks like he's put together some solid games in a row. Yeah, Danner seems to be coming out of his shell. He's uh, having a, a pretty good year, but it's taken him a little bit to kind of mesh back in with Bluefield. But uh, next, the past couple of nights, uh, I think a lot of guys have been hitting hot, and Danner's been one of the guys, uh, two big wins here in August to begin with uh, Bristol after a little bit of a skid in the month. And I think Danner is kind of hitting his stride. He's right around 300, and I think, uh, I think a good August is going to put him over the hump. What does Dennis Holmberg know that I don't know in terms of why is Rafael Antigua, who gets two hits every single day, batting at the bottom part of the order? I, I, I think Dennis likes to use him as a, like a second leadoff guy, that 8-9 hole. Uh, it, it's always, it seems always that uh, if something's at a lull down at the bottom of that order, Rafael Antigua will pick it up. If if you see that name in the lineup, you think, oh, the bottom of the order. No, Rafael Antigua is going to hit, and he he can always be a spark plug for the bottom of the order. And and it's always it, it's always better hitting with someone on than with someone not on. I, I I've always felt that way. And I think uh, when you come to the plate, and you see Antigua, who's a speedster. You know, if you could put one down the line or in the gap, Antigua is probably going to get you an RBI. And I think that's huge in that order. And I think Dennis knows that. The Bluefield Blue Jays are coming off a doubleheader sweep yesterday at Bristol. Let's begin with your starter in game one. How good was Troy Watson? Troy has been amazing all year, so it's it's not really a, a, that big of a shock. 2-0, that was his second win. But uh, he's had a few no decisions with uh, the pitch inning limit that uh, they put him on this year. But a 1.29 ERA, one of the best we've got on the staff. And uh, that in 21 innings, he's got 15 strikeouts. Uh, when when they kind of let the reins off Troy Watson, I think uh, you're going to see complete game after complete game. It may be up the chain a little bit, but uh, he's growing. And I think he's a great arm for the organization. 
And uh, like I said, once he gets uh, you gets the ball and says, "Hey, go get him, kid," and uh, no limits, no pitch limits, no inning limits. I think he's going to be one of those guys that steps up in the order in the rotation that'll give you uh, a, your bullpen a breather. What has made him so tough? I, I think he's he's very good. I've noticed at spotting his pitches. If uh, you know a catcher, whether it be Guerra or Kirk sets up outside they're not moving too much once once he comes out of his delivery if he wants to hit a spot he's going to hit it and uh they do a great job Uh, adam bonero and uh and dennis holmberg do a great job of scouting reports and knowing how to pitch around hitters and i think troy watson's one of the guys that has absorbed that the most and he knows where he's going and he's got great control Here's another guy who's jumped out to me, talking with Zach Helton, voice of the Bluefield Blue Jays. That's Nicholas Medina, who's faced 42 batters this year, and he's given up two. Two base hits, zero runs. How's it been to watch him? Yeah, he's fun. He's one of the guys that'll, uh, that'll come in, and you kind of feel, you feel energetic. I, I, I feel energetic from the booth. I know maybe the guys uh, in the lineup say, oh, okay, we, we just really need to give – Medina a couple of runs and uh, we're going to be set for the night. Medina is one of those guys. He's kind of like a bulldog. He will go up against some of the best hitters in your lineup and he will not back down. He'll, he'll feed fastball right down the middle and he'll, he'll beat you with his best. And I think that attitude is got him where he is today. And, you know, not many people when, when they put the ball in play, it's going right at somebody. Not many people will get the best of Medina. Let's talk velocity. Who out of all of your pitchers bullies batters the most? I would say Pardino, especially. The youngster, <laughs> he throws in the upper 90s, and uh, he's got a short stature. He's about 5'10", listed as 5'10". I would I would say at least 5'9", but he will go right at people. It reminds you of a young Billy Wagner. He He's uh, one of those guys, you know, not a closer type, but he's more of a starter type, and he throws hard the entire time he's in. Fifth, sixth inning, he's throwing as hard as he did the first. And uh, I haven't seen too many people at this level catch up with him yet. And uh, it'll be interesting to see when he moves up who can catch up with him and, and who can get him. But, uh, you know, it's uh, he's he's went right at hitters, and he's throwing hard. I, I would say he works uh, 75% fastball on everybody. His start most recently, he got roughed up a bit by Princeton. Was there anything in particular that could be the reason? No, I just think uh, it was one of those nights. Princeton has a tremendous lineup, kind of like uh, we do. They've got, you know, they can hit from uh, top to bottom. They've got a few guys uh, right in the top ten of hitting. Uh, So you pitch around one guy, and then the next guy coming up uh, can also mash as well. So I think that was a good a good little outing for the uh, the youngster. He didn't get he did get a no decision, uh, but. that Princeton squad's been tough to handle for anyone this year, and for especially somebody 17 years old in their first year of professional baseball. Uh, he handled it like a champ. He went right at him and didn't back down. But, uh, you know, a couple of things didn't bounce his way. And, and uh, you know, it seems like every time he hits the bump, uh, run support just isn't there. And it was one of those nights for him. Uh, I think he'll come right out of it. He'll either – we got rained out tonight. He'll start one of the two games tomorrow. And I look for him to have a great outing. Finally, in terms of the offensive side, I love looking at Cal Stevenson's numbers every single week just to say, did he walk, did he hit, 
Did he score a run? So 65 times on base, 35 hits, 30 walks, and 29 games. 38 runs scored in 29 games this year. Do I just say prototypical leadoff man and leave it there, or is there more to it? It, There's a little more to it. Uh, He kind of came in late to us, and he's led the league in walks ever since he got here. I think uh, one of the first nights he had like three walks. Every time he gets on, he, whether he gets on base hit-wise, uh, walk, double, the, it seems like the stars align for Cal Stevenson. There'll be a wild throw, an error. One night he hit, uh, he hit one down in the right field corner, a stand-up triple, and when he was coming into third, they overshot the third baseman, threw it into the bullpen, and he walked on home for a Little League home run. So it seems like every time Cal Stevenson gets on uh, base, it's one of those things, I don't want to go to the concession stand. I don't want to go to the bathroom. I want to sit here and see how Cal Stevenson's going to score this time because it, it seems like every time he gets on, something wacky is going to happen, and he's going to touch them all and come on home. Let's wrap up with this. What's it been like watching your coaching staff working with the players this year? It, you can see the development over some of the, um, some of the kids. Um, Cal Stevenson's one of those guys, patient at bats, patient at bats. And uh, I, I try to get there early. I'll, I'll do like a weekly interview with, with Dennis and kind of kind of soak up some energy from him. And it's just they're in the cage working after BP and just little things, going the other way, moving the runner. And all these guys are picking up on it. And uh, it just it's so fun to watch these kids develop. The, the, the record right now is kind of off, and, and it's the dog days of summer, and these guys have hit it hard. But but they came out of the box so hot, it was, you know, everyone kind of expected them to cool off at some point. But when you are coming into August in the Appy League and you're sitting, you know, right there in second and you've got an opportunity to make the playoffs, you can't feel bad about it. And Dennis and Adam Monero and uh, Coach Villalobos, uh, all of those guys have done a tremendous job to keep these guys focused. You know, a lot of those guys played college and played a lot in the spring. And keeping them focused for a long summer especially in their first year of professional baseball, has been tough. And I think they've done a great job of not only keep, keeping the guys in the game, but just keeping them energy up and growing them as baseball players. No Bluefield Blue Jays game today. Doubleheader tomorrow against Danville. They are home all the way through next Wednesday against Greenville. Z underscore Helton on Twitter. He is the voice of the Appy League Blue Jays, the Bluefield Blue Jays, Zach Helton. Zach, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, as always, Jesse, for having me. All right. And from Zach, that about wraps up Around the Nest, except I have an interview for you, and also with regard to the Around the Nest questions. I can't answer about Dalton Pompey, team violation, so violation of team rules. It gets, uh, gets kept private. With regard to promotions, we get to find out, same as you, in terms of surprises. Most intriguing guy on the Jays Gulf Coast League squad, I think you know, Gabriel Moreno, I've heard really good things about, just setting aside a Jordan Groshans or a Leonardo Jimenez. Interesting to see how Addison Barger is. And Nate Pearson, that's another one where we will probably be surprised if, when he appears, but there's nothing that I've heard, so sorry about that. Here's a conversation with Reggie Pruitt. Enjoy. This is Jesse Goldberg Strassler, joined by Lugnuts outfielder Reggie Pruitt. Reggie, you made a catch last year in Vancouver. But apparently they're still talking about it. What do you remember? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, I want to say Donnie was pitching, and he was like, I mean, Donnie doesn't really give it up, the guy, so um, you could say the guy kind of got lucky, found a, got a, one of Donnie's mistakes out there in the left center, 
and uh, I remember just going after and get it because I, I like to be the guy that pitchers can uh, rely on out there. You know, like they, it, I'm, I want to be sort of a safety blanket to pitchers. So if they, I mean, everybody makes mistakes, and if they make one and a guy hits it, like we can go get it. But I ran after it, and uh, it was a good little ways, and I had to dive for it, and I was pretty close to the wall, but. At the same time, once you see that ball go up in the air, you kind of get tunnel vision on the ball, and you just want to go catch it. And, yeah, I came up with a great grab, and it didn't feel too good, but at the end of the day, if you catch it, it, it doesn't hurt as much. When you were growing up, did you practice diving catches? Uh, not really. I kind of, when I was growing up, it was more like the fundamentals, first step, um, just get good reads on the ball. And it also helps that I'm pretty quick to say, and, so that that also helps, but at the same time, there's also a technique to it that I always try to learn from when I was young. I'd say, when you say that you're pretty quick, it's an understatement. At what point did you realize you were faster than the guys around you? Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, I still work on it. But I remember when I was little, um, my Little League coach, T-ball coach, they used to call me Reggie Rocket. So um, I guess then, uh, then on, I just realized that uh, I mean I could I, I had a little more speed on the other guys so I, I just tried to use it to my advantage. How many different coaches of different sports tried to get you to play for them? Oh, all all the time, man. It was, and that's that. I mean that's the way you grow up playing uh, travel ball. Everybody wants the best players, and everybody will say we'll fly you here, we'll fly you there. You can stay here, you can stay there. But I, I never did any of that. I stayed in Georgia, played out of East Cobb, and uh, that was kind of. For me, being from Georgia, everybody looks up to those guys. I always told myself when I was younger, man, I want to play for the Astros. I want to be an East Cobb Astro, and eventually I went on to do that. Did the track, uh, track coach come for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, here's the thing. Like, <laughs> when you're fast, running just to run really isn't my thing. Like, I got to be going. I got to have something at the end. Like, running just to run, and that, I kind of get tired of that. So I never, I never really did track past, like, 10 years old, I want to say. Football or basketball or soccer? Yeah, football for sure. My mom's a big soccer fan. Um, she loves soccer. I played soccer when I was younger. But uh, it was football and basketball and baseball throughout my whole life. When it comes to technique, because you mentioned it can't just be about quickness. Yeah. So what have you learned about proper technique? Um, I mean, it's all about your first step. And sometimes you got to really trust yourself when you're out there because you can see a lot of bad things. You can see... If a ball's hit hard, you can hear if a ball's hit hard. You can hear if it's not hit hard. You can hear, you can see if it's not hit hard. So at the same time out there, you kind of got to trust your instincts. But uh, those, you, you really got to trust your eyes, trust your ears, and uh, kind of when you're out there, it's it's th there is technique, but at the same time, you just got to go do it. So with our first steps, usually in the outfield, we're taught first step always back because if a ball's hit out there, it's usually hit pretty hard. Well, sometimes you may take your first step back, but you see maybe it's a little broken bat single, so then you got to bust in. So um, it's definitely something that I that I try and work on daily, and anytime I get a chance to, especially in BP, I work on it a lot. Is it true that the ball hit right at you is the toughest to read? Yeah, because those those balls are usually ones that are pretty low to the ground, so you can't see if it's going to get up a little bit or if it's going to be one of those sinking line drives. So those are really ones where you just got to kind of trust your eyes and go for it. Rather go to your right or to your left? Uh, for me, to my left, because at the same time, if the ball's going to my left, if the, or going towards right field, so that would be my left, but right field, if the ball's going towards like the right center, right field gap, it's easier just to reach my glove out than to reach across my body and make a diving play. Have you ever taken a home run back? Um, not yet, not all the way back, but like towards the wall, and I run into the wall a little bit, so maybe you could say I've taken doubles and triples away, but 
Like a true home run, not yet. I'm still waiting for that perfect ball. How many times have you run into the wall? This year, I, I lost count, man. Probably five or six, but... Um, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, I know, I know. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's something that I had a little trouble getting over for maybe about a week this season. I had a little trouble getting over, like, I guess being scared of the wall. Because yeah. you're going to run into it. It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. It's always going to be there. So I had to kind of prepare my mind mentally for about a, a week there just to get over that being scared of the wall. And throwing is something else. We've seen you throw at guys at home plate. How has that come along? How's your arm developed? It's, it's good. I mean, we, we have a throwing program that's really strong and really firm here in our organization, and they really put a lot of emphasis on it. And when it first when it first got started, there were a couple guys that, or like a lot of the guys, didn't really buy in, and I thought it was kind of a waste of time. But And I was one of those guys. And once I finally bought in, it, the the results were uh, night and day. Like, you could, you could see it from when I used to not really take it serious and then the taking serious now and the way it's just transferred in the game it's really helped a lot was there a moment where you made a throw that helped you buy in what, what happened that you said all right i'm in yeah uh i i want to say it was when i threw out one of the faster guys in the league zach davis i mean that guy can straight fly man and he's a great player and i knew i got a ground ball to me hit in center field and i knew i was going to have to get rid of it fast and uh just the technique that we go through through our throwing program and our footwork and uh the tempo we go about it is just that really set me up to make a good throw right there and eventually get him at the plate. With the Lugnuts, Reggie Pruitt, I was talking to the coaching staff about the throwing program, about how it's helped out you and Samad and the different guys. What do you mean when you say throwing program? What does that consist of? So when our, so our throwing program is we go out as far as you want, but it goes from when you're going out, it's nice and soft, and you get the ball up in the air, really get some air under it. And then when we come back in, it's really when we get into the program part of it. We go game throws. So for the day, that could be outfielders' backhands, outfielders' forehands, regular ground balls, fly balls, and then the same thing for the infielders, backhands, forehands, slow rollers, anything of that nature. Anything that, any type of movement that you will make in the game, we'll incorporate that coming back in, and then we'll firm the throws up and uh, just make them a little harder and make them more game-like. Offensively, it seems to me at the plate, I've seen you going oppo a lot more recently. True? Yeah, I mean, that, that's where my strong suit is. I'm not a guy with a lot of juice that's going to pull the ball and hit the homers, the big homers to left field. So at the end of the day, I kind of had to uh, come to terms with who I am as a player and learn, really learn who I am and uh, what's going to keep me successful and uh, get me to the next level. How well do you currently understand yourself? I really do. It, it took me a while between getting hurt and being on the DL and coming back and then trying to rush and be like, oh, I don't have a lot of time. I really I feel like I'm coming to my own right now and kind of realizing, like, if I just believe in myself and believe in the player that I am, that everything's going to pan out. When you get down to first base, a walk, a single, whatever it is, how much do you enjoy the fact that that pitcher and the catcher know that you might go? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it, it's, a good, uh, it's a really good feeling, but... Uh, at the same time, it's also fun because there's great guys behind the plate. The, uh, the guy from the guy from Peoria has a great arm. Uh, Miggy over there with South Bend, he has a really good arm. So it's it's always fun to kind of compete with those guys when I get on the base pass. Have you ever done a straight steal of home? I have before. I want to say it was with Cesar when we were in the GCL. It was a uh, left-handed pitcher, and he went to pick off the first base, and I just took off. And we had talked about it previously before the. Uh, before it may have happened, and he said, hey, if he picks real slow to first, just take off. Like, 
I'll let you do it. Just make sure, just make sure you're safe. So I was. So it, it turned out well. So yeah, that was pretty awesome. What reception did you get as you came back into the dugout? Oh, that was awesome. I mean, it, <laughs> that's always a good one to kind of score a run without having to get a hit and having yeah. to put pressure on that guy right there at the plate. Because I mean. For me, when there's a runner on third, you really kind of put pressure on yourself and say, like, i got to get this run in when you shouldn't. But take the pressure off of that guy and just let that guy be able to swing the bat is awesome. That's a good point, though, yeah. that you've had Cesar not just as a manager this year, but back then. How was he in the G? Hey, it's a, he's the same guy every day. He just he comes out here and he's happy to be here, which is truly awesome. And uh, he truly feels for you and he understands the grind and the ups and downs of the game. And uh, he's really a great manager to play for because he's really a player's manager and uh, – who really understands us. With Reggie Pruitt, have you ever met anybody who's faster than you? Oh, there's a, there's a ton of guys, <laughs> I feel like. Samad's quick. Chavez is quick. Um, like I was saying, Zach Davis, who just got promoted. I mean, those guys, there's a bunch of guys on the field where I'm like, man, that guy could really fly. And to be in conversation with some of those guys is uh, really humbling, and it, it's it's really cool to be known as those, uh, those base-stealing threats throughout the whole league. Speaking of humbling, you mentioned how much you really wanted to be East Cobb, right? Well, here you are. You're a professional baseball player right now. What's that mean to you? I mean, that's awesome. It's uh, For me, it's been a uh, not a long road, but it's kind of something I've always dreamed about. Because, I mean, playing at East Cobb, I got to see the Jason Haywards, the Terry McClure's, the Randolph Gassaways, and uh, the Kyle Davises and that sort, and Buster Posey. So I kind of want to follow in those guys' footsteps and keep the uh, keep the train moving so I all uh, at the end of my career I kind of want to be those guys that people really looked up to coming out of East Cobb or that kids say hey I want to be that guy so I really try and just be a class act and be real professional and go about my work every day what's it been like to go back home each offseason that you've been in the minor leagues to go back now as a pro ball player that yeah that that's the most humbling part right there because you have kids that you never met before that or maybe freshman or in eighth grade when you were a senior in high school and they come back and they're like oh you're Reggie Pruitt man I used to love watching you play and this and that so that's the real humbling part and being able to go back and I like to give my time to those kids so I'll, I'll work camps or I'll, I'll coach I'll help coach uh, a travel team that my high school coach is the head coach of so I'll help him do that and that's really humbling because at the same time I, I could be out here struggling but back home those kids aren't looking up the stats I come back home and they're like, dude, like you're awesome. Like we really look up to you. Like I really want to learn from you. And I got kids asking for lessons and stuff like that. So it's actually really humbling uh, at the end of the off season. With Lansing Lugnuts outfielder Reggie Pruitt, what's it been like to be a Lugnut with the kind of atmosphere and cohesiveness this team has? Man, it's it, it's it's unreal. It's it's awesome. Like this is this is the most fun I've had besides last year when we won the championship in Vancouver. It, it was this is the same type of atmosphere we had last year and. We won a championship last year, so hopefully that's a little foreshadowing of things to come. But, uh, no, it's been awesome to have these guys. Like, we just trust each other. We we, we gel we gel together really well. Um, we go out there and compete for each other every day. When somebody's down, you'll get picked up by somebody. So, at the end of the day, it's it's this is one of the most fun times I've ever had playing baseball in my career. And finally, besides baseball, what's important to you in life? Um, really just making my family proud. They, uh... They uh, they sacrificed a lot of things to get me to where I am, where it was countless hours driving, the tryouts, tournaments, countless uh, money being paid to being paid to play on teams. So I really just want to uh, make them proud and not let them down, and kind of be able one day to give it all back to them.
Reggie, thank you. No problem, Jesse. So that's Reggie Pruitt, Lansing Lugnuts outfielder. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. This has been Around the Nest. Enjoy the baseball.